First scripture reading is from Exodus 3, 7 through 12. The Lord said, I have indeed, indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. The second reading is from Deuteronomy 31, 1 through 8. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said. And the Lord will do to them what he did to, to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The last reading is from Galatians 3, 26 through 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Well, good morning again. My name is Logan, and I am the lead pastor here at Lower Manhattan Community Church. Uh, if, if you cheer every time I say that, I'm just going to keep saying it. Um, but I am the lead pastor as of last week. I, um, you know, and I, I have two thoughts to share on that before I get into the actual message um, about what it is to be an honor um, to be named the lead pastor here and to inherit uh, this church. Uh, the first is what an inheritance, what an absolute abundance of wealth. And uh, this idea, that thought came to me uh, when Alf invited me to the worship showcase a few weeks ago. And uh, you, these last two songs, they, they sang for us there the first time. And, uh, and then, then like 12 other songs that you haven't heard yet that you're like all thirsty for. Um, 
But I sat there with a room about 15 to 20 of our leaders, and at that point I knew that this was coming. And I just was in awe that God would bless me in this way to receive an inheritance like this church. Um, And it's not just the band. They're amazing. Um, You've seen that. But it's you. It's that God has placed all of you here in this church, in this community, and the youth and the children and the families and the men and women that make up this church. There is such beautiful potential. You are such a beautiful people. And so it's an honor to be your pastor, and I look forward to the many things that God has for us going forward. And the second thought that I've had over the course of the last two weeks is that we are merely building on and fulfilling the prayers of these people and the promises of God to you and to this city. That the work that Ryan and Brittany and Kara and Dan Marriott and Grant and Bethany Norvell and Gary Broyles and the people that have gone before us and those of you who have been here for a long time praying and seeking and asking God to do something that you really never even knew what you were asking for. We have started a work and now we get to build on it and we get to fulfill it and not just for us but for this city because God has claimed this city. God has promises for the people of this city and so we get to be a part of building on what he started and then fulfilling it for the good of our city. And it starts today. It starts today. And the title of my message and what I want to talk about is what is it going to look like for us to do it? And the title is The Promised Land. And we have been using that Old Testament paradigm that you just read about, the idea that God saw his people in Egypt, called Moses to lead him out of slavery and into a land flowing with milk and honey, a land occupied by enemies, and yet he would defeat them. And so we need to answer the question, what is the promised land? What is our promised land? What is he asking us to do? What is he promising to do in our midst? And that was an Old Testament paradigm, but it had a New Testament reality, That this theme of promised land and God being with his people and God blessing them abundantly was ultimately met with Christ. When Christ showed up to set his people free from the various bondage of sin and slavery that they were experiencing. To set up the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven that it would spread to the ends of the earth. And as it said in Galatians, we are heirs of that promise. That we as a church are walking into the new inheritance, this new paradigm. To use unchristian language, it's the idea of the good life. That there is a blessing and a joy and a peace that all of us are seeking. Everybody is wanting and yet God is the place and the person that provides it and invites us to participate in it in the promised land. So what is the promised land and how do we obtain it? Well, the promise that was given to Moses had three steps. Three steps. We can't forget the steps, and we have to walk in those steps. The first step is that God sees you and enters in to help you. He said to Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cries, and I will come to deliver them. It's the first step, and some of us think that he's just accomplished it, but we never move on from that idea that God sees us, and he hears our cry, and he will enter in in our need. The second step is that we would enjoy the inheritance. And third, that we would defeat the enemies. And so those are going to be the the three sections of my message this morning. First is that God sees you. God sees you. And 
I want to say that over and over and over again because that is what began this work is that God saw us in the midst of us being in bondage to an old way of thinking about church that only exalted parts of who God was and then told the rest of God to sit in the corner until we were ready to invite him to the table. And God saw our prayers, he, he heard our prayers, he heard our cries, and he set us free to something we didn't even know we wanted, but he knew we needed. And he did it for Israel, and he started to do it for us. But he's not done seeing you and hearing your cries. Because I think for some in this room today, you feel like God has overlooked you. You can see how he's blessed other people. You can see how he's come in and heard their prayers. You see how he's come in and and blessed their lives, but you're wondering if that's for you too. And for others, you've seen him come in in a small way. You've tasted a bit of the inheritance, and you're wondering if he's going to hear your cry in other areas. Is he going to bring clarity to that career path that you're asking him to provide for? Is he going to heal the marriage that you're begging to stay together? Is he going to restore the relationship between father and son that you're wrestling and asking for? Will he come through in this area? And it doesn't matter to talk about the inheritance if we don't believe that God sees us and hears us and is for us. If we don't get that, then God is not really real. He's just kind of an arbiter of gifts and good things, but we don't actually have him as real and present and active in our lives. And so we have to keep coming back to the fact that God sees us and he hears us and will answer. And so far, we've just got a taste. We've just got a taste, but if we only stick with the taste, we will forget that God wants to give it to us in full. That's what happened with the Israelites. The Israelites saw 10 powerful miracles in Egypt that set them free from slavery. And what did they do immediately after crossing over the Red Sea? They grumbled and they complained and they forgot. They forgot that God continues to see them and hears them and will deliver them. And so they shrunk back from really receiving the promised land. And so unless we hold fast to God being here and seeing and hearing, we will shrink back. Because right now we just got a taste. See, the Israelites did get a taste before they entered the promised land. Two and a half of the tribes actually received the inheritance. They saw the defeating of their enemies and and ate of the fruit of their land before the rest of them did. And the same has been happening here in this church. Some of you have gotten a taste of God's power. Some of you have watched our church experience a small measure of it, but you haven't experienced it in full. God's not done with us, and God's not done with you. He's continuing to do that. That phrase, got a taste, um, two images came to mind. Um, The first is when you're at a... When you're at dinner and you order a bottle of wine and um, they bring the bottle over to you and they display it to you like you have any idea where it's from and what it means and they open it and they pour a little small thing and they give it to you and you're like, let me pretend I'm a sommelier. (laughs) Knowing full well it doesn't matter because you're going to have them pour the entire thing, right? Because the only purpose for getting a taste is that you would say, I want more of that. I want more of that. Um, but that phrase was also used recently uh, on the baseball fields. Um, my, my son was on the, the Little League All-Star team, and his Little League World Series dreams came to an end on Friday, unfortunately. Uh, but my wife loves baseball, but more than loving baseball, she loves the crowd around baseball and the phrases that people use in baseball. 
Because every sport has these weird phrases, right? Like if my son plays soccer and they're like, go to the back post, stay on side. And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, but okay. Well, in baseball, the same thing happens, right? It's like, uh, <laughs> and she asked me, what are, what are people saying when they're saying, oh, you got a taste, now you're ready for the next one. And what they're saying is when someone is at the plate and they swing and they foul it off, and it's like, oh, you got a taste of what it was like to crush that ball. And the hope is that the next pitch, now you're ready when the pitch comes for you to crush it. See, what God has done over these last 10 months is given you a small measure, a small taste, a small touch, so that the next time that you are up at bat and the next chance it comes for him to come and deliver, that you will receive it in full and crush it. He's not done. But that will only be true if you believe that God sees you his son, his daughter, and he hears what you're crying out for, and he's saying, I hear your cry, I hear the affliction, I will come through in that area. He sees you. He sees us. His eyes are on us. And we will not let him take them off of us. And he does that so that we can enjoy the inheritance, not just have the inheritance, but enjoy the inheritance. And I use that phrase specifically because there is no point in having an inheritance if you don't enjoy it. If someone passes on to you a huge rent-controlled apartment in New York City and a beautiful house in the Hamptons and an upstate home, because why just have one home outside the city? It would be ridiculous if you had those things and you didn't move into the apartment and you didn't go out to the Hamptons and you didn't go upstate to enjoy it. It would be foolish. The same is true for salvation. It would be foolish for you to say, I believe in Christ and yet experience none of the benefits. It would be foolish for us to say we believe in a God who is powerful enough to do all things and then ask him to do nothing. It's about enjoying the inheritance that he wants to bestow upon us. That there is a joy of knowing God that we need to restore in this place. That it would not be ridiculous to hear the dance that David leads and actually be overwhelmed by joy that God is here with us. Uh, It reminds me of when I was uh, trying to date my wife. Um, And we were in the same church together and uh, we ran into each other before church, and she was coming from a Sunday school class. And I said, oh, what's the class called? And she goes, the joy of knowing God. <laughs> Sounds like it's working. Um, <laughs> and I tease her about it, you know, but you know, she's just kind of that intense, like she actually was experiencing joy, but that's not how I express joy. And there's too much of the Christian life is lived like that. I know God, but it's just so hard. <laughs> Do you know God? Because if you knew him and you knew the inheritance and were enjoying it, it would be a different story. There would be a joy that surpasses understanding. There would be a peace that surpasses circumstance. It's about enjoying the inheritance. So what is the inheritance? What is this land flowing with milk and honey that God is promising us to enter into? What is LMCC's promised land? And in answering this question, I'm going to answer where are we going Where are we going as a church? Many of you have been asking. Well, here we go. And I'm not going to go deep into all of these um, because we're going to talk about them a lot 
going forward. And there are seven, seven pieces of this inheritance. The first piece of this inheritance is God's presence. It's His presence. More than His power and His signs and His wonders and His gifts and all those things, we just want God and all of Him. All of who God is, that's who we're seeking. God is Father, God is Son, Jesus, God is the Holy Spirit, all of God. For too long, we've settled with one or two out of the three of who God is, and the rest we've just said, go away for now, I'm not ready for that. But God is saying, it's time for all of me to be here. And when we embrace God's presence, here's what happens. We get God as a Father, the giver of every good gift, ready to bestow blessing upon each and every one of His children. We get God as Son, King Jesus, who reigns and makes better decisions than I will and you will to guide us forward into the promised land and accomplish victories for us. That's what he told Joshua. I will go before you. I will defeat your enemies. I will accomplish it. King Jesus will accomplish the risen and reigning kingdom of God. And God is Holy Spirit. God in us. A power empowering you to do more than you could ask or imagine being accomplished in your life and in this city. God's presence. All of who He is. And settling for nothing less than all of who He is. Which means that we have to keep saying yes to God. Yes to whatever He asks. And as you've heard more and more and more, sometimes it's weird. (laughs) But it's still true. And it's so good. Because when we get the presence of God, we get everything that comes with it. And so we must start by seeking and continue by seeking His presence first, knowing that His presence will come with everything that He brings. The first part is His presence. Because the promised land is nothing without His presence. Second is salvations. When God's presence shows up, a true awakening or revival happens. It turns people who are far away from him back to him. It draws those who have run away back to experiencing his presence and his goodness. And God has told us that we will be a church of many salvations. Last Sunday, we had 13 people baptized here. Yes. Last December, we had 38 people baptized Yes, it's amazing. But what I hope for is the day when that baptism is here every single Sunday, because throughout the week you have encountered people that have gone from death to life spiritually and have gone from being far from God to near to God, and so we can't stop baptizing people over and over and over again, that hundreds of people come to faith by your testimonies, by your stories, by God going with you into your workplace and your building and your families so that you stand there next to me and watch the joy on their face when they come out of the water and experience salvation. His presence, his salvation, and third, his healing. God has called us to be a healing church. And not just a healing church where people are healed here, but a healing people that we take healing with us. Uh, this hit home to me um, at my barber shop, naturally. Um, 
my barber, Sam, um, is good at what he does, as you can tell. Um, he's my favorite barber, and I try to schedule him, but I've only got to be with him twice over the course of this year. One was right before Easter, and one was before last Sunday, because I was not going to stand up here and be named your lead pastor without looking like a young King David. Amen? <laughs> Well, back before Easter on Passover, uh, the day of Passover, I went to get my hair cut, and he's Jewish. And I said, hey, are you going to have a Seder tonight? And he said, no, I no longer celebrate God. I said, oh, what happened? He said, I cannot believe that a God exists when I see children experience pain and trauma in this world. And I said, man, of all the objections I've ever heard, <laughs> that's a good one. Because when you look at these babies being dedicated, you see these kids running around this place, all you can think is, I don't want them to experience pain. I don't want them to experience trauma. And I said, that's a really good objection, but have you ever considered that God's not the cause of the pain in their lives? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you own this barbershop. And so for an example, like, has anything ever happened inside of this barbershop during the course of a day or that's impeded your profits that has affected your daughters at home? He said, yeah, it happens all the time. I said, well, that's just your barbershop. Like, what about the fact that we live in a broken world with broken government and broken systems that aren't good for every single child? Isn't it natural that they would be broken by a broken world? And he said, I've never thought about it like, like that. And I said, well, what if God is not the cause, but he's the cure. That he is the one that wants to enter in to the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of these kids and heal their trauma and restore to them a life that they could never experience outside of his blessing. He said, I got to think about that. <laughs> and he quickly changed the subject. And I thought, oh, missed opportunity. Until a few weeks later when my wife took my boys to get haircuts, and he stopped in the middle of the haircut to come and talk to my wife and said, that conversation I, you, I had with your husband, he said, it's just completely changed the last few weeks. I've had so much peace and hope where I had none before. <laughs> and then I went back in last week, and, and he stopped the person, cutting, <laughs> he's cutting their hair, and begins to say, hey, I've got to introduce you to one of my clients. He's, he's an MMA fighter. And he turned to MMA because he had trauma as a child, and he used fighting as a way to overcome and to find healing. I got to introduce you to him. I said, I'd love to meet him. I don't want to fight him. <laughs> um, and I sat in his chair, and he told me about how he's had more peace and hope where he had been hopeless over these last couple of months. And then he began to talk about his marriage and where he wants that to be healed and fixed, and I began to talk to him. I'm, I did not go in there <laughs> planning to talk about why the brokenness of children exists in the world, but the Holy Spirit was with me and spoke through me in that moment, and He will be with you, and He will speak through you in the moments that He provides for you. But hear me on this. It is great for us to take healing out there, but we will never be able to take healing out there if we do not pursue healing in here. That every single person needs more healing than they've experienced so far. That whether you place your faith in Christ last week for the first time by baptism, or this is your first Sunday, or you're in some leadership position, or you stand up on the stage like me, 
There are depths of healing that God wants to take you to in your mind, in your body, in your soul that he is not done doing. And if we do not pursue the depth of healing inside of this church, we will not have a breadth of healing outside of this church. And God wants to create a healing center that heals the whole body with nutrition, with lifestyle, with medicine that addresses mental health. And he wants to do it through us. But he won't do it through us if we don't let him do it in us. And so let's be a healing church because we experience the healing power of God every time we gather. That we're seeking to answer the question, what does God want to heal in me today? His presence, salvation, and healing. And fourth, deliverance. The whole narrative is being delivered out of slavery for the Israelites and into freedom. And that is what he's done, and that's what he's going to continue to do here. That there have been people set free from their addictions of workaholism, of alcoholism, of drugs, of addiction to pleasure and approval, of sins that hold you back from the full potential that God has designed for you. And he's not done delivering us there. And in some cases, that will involve deliverance from demons, which makes us uncomfortable because it is so abnormal in our world, but it is so normal in the scriptures. It is so normal in what God wants to do in this supernatural world to set us free from things that hinder our natural abilities. And so we will deliver not because of anything other than the fact that God has told us to do it. And he will raise up people that have the ability to cast out demons. And every single demon will be cast out. But not only that, but from generational patterns, generational sins, generational mindsets, generational ways of living that are no longer good for you and they were never good for you in the first place. But you've just received them and repeated them. And God says, I'm going to interrupt that so the generations after you experience far more blessing than the generations before you. That was the promise to Abraham. Leave your family to a land that I will give you so that generation after generation after generation will be blessed because you do it. That's not something we've talked about, but it's something that God's working on me for my generations to change, and he wants to do it in you. Presence, salvation, healing, deliverance, and fifth is abundance. And here's what I mean by abundance. It is unlocking and unleashing the gifts, the opportunities, and the possibilities in your life. When we look at the worship band and we look at the embarrassment of riches on this stage every single Sunday, it is just a touch of the embarrassment of riches that sits in the seats in this church every Sunday. And what has happened in them as we have affirmed and blessed their creative work and creative energy is that God has unlocked and unleashed their ability to create and establish songs and works of art that inspire and and lift you up. Don't you think he wants to do that in you? I had a conversation with a guy this week who had stopped asking What are the things that you want to do in my life? What are the possibilities that you have for my life? And I think many of you have stopped doing that as well. 
that you've been living on kind of past experiences and past ideas instead of what's possible for God to do in your future. And an abundance means that he will unlock gifts in you that you've never experienced. Because too many of us think of gifts in a singular way. Instead of God saying, I'm actually giving you every gift, now you've got to figure out which one I want you to use in the moment. <laughs> he is going to unlock an abundance of gifts inside of this church, and unless he does it, we won't enter into the promised land. It's not about one person leading the people of Israel. It's about the full army of Israel joining together to enter in and defeat every enemy. And so he wants to unlock an abundance of riches of gifts and of possibilities in our church. The sixth is generosity. And this is where we get to build on and fulfill the promises of God to this church and what he's already done. The miracle that began at this church started with generosity. And I mean generosity of hospitality and generosity of resources. Because this is one of the most hospitable places that I've ever been in. When we were just coming incognito a couple years ago, before we actually got brought on staff here, we sat downstairs and talked to two of the women in this church who were just selling on this, on this church over and over and over again for 30 minutes. It's like, we're in. You just don't know it yet. And there's a generosity of spirit and vulnerability in this place that you open up your lives quickly. And we need to build on that. We need to find it in full with the generosity there. But the same is true for our resources. That God wants us to continue to give away radically of our resources to churches, to missions, to nonprofits, to for-profits, in order that we would invest in kingdom impact in this city. And He wants to attach wise stewardship to our spirit-filled generosity. That spirit-filled generosity can be served by wide stewardship, that it shouldn't be separated from each other. And here's what I mean by that. That came to mind because I was interacting with someone in the church that um, has an Excel spreadsheet where they are able to calculate their net worth by the minute based upon the stock market and when the president tweets about the tariffs, <laughs> and which I can't even get my mind around the brilliance that it takes to use a Microsoft product to produce anything of good. And the thought that that could be unlocked and unleashed for the sake of generosity and kingdom impact, that resources could be funneled towards a, such a productivity and a power, what issues will we end because we participate in with our generosity? We will partner with Restored in sex trafficking in New York City. That we will provide for families that, with unexpected pregnancy that want to keep their children. And we will help the women who have chosen abortion be healed and restored after that from the pain of it. We will use our generosity to invest in new enterprises and new businesses and nonprofits in ways that God has not even told us how yet. But that's how his kingdom will come, is with a generosity that is radical. God's presence, salvation, healing, deliverance, Abundance, generosity, and lastly, an inheritance for the city. An inheritance for the city. The promise to Abraham was you will be a blessing to bless every nation. The church for too long has 
surrounded themselves together and huddled to the sake of enjoying the inheritance of God, but not giving away the inheritance of God to the people that need it most, those outside the church. And this was hit home to me um, a few weeks ago. Part of my habit in prayer as I'm walking the streets is just to come to a corner and say, God, which way do you want me to go? And then I just act on the impulse. And there's times where I'm like, that's not the path to where I'm going. And yet I run into people in this church along the way. And I think, okay, God, that's why you told me to go this way. Well, on that day, he told me to come and walk around this building seven times. And if you don't know the story, it's that, that's kind of reminded me of the story of Jericho, which was the first battle that the people of Israel faced entering into the promised land. And they were told for seven days to walk around once, and on the seventh day to walk around seven times to blow their horns and to shout, and the walls of Jericho fell down, and they rushed in to defeat their enemies. Walking around a city block seven times takes a long time, and you feel ridiculous. (laughs) And around the seventh time, I'm thinking, why am I doing this? And then I'm like, I don't want the building to fall down. Like, that's not why I'm praying. (laughs) I like this building. I want to keep worshiping here. And I feel God say to me, it's not about the building falling down. It's about the metaphorical walls of the church falling down. It's not about trying to get people in, but it's about trying to get the church to go out. That it's a reverse Jericho. And that aligns with the vision that Rich Barrios had for us a month ago on Memorial Day where he described this building as an Olympic torch on fire that people were bringing unlit lanterns to to come and get their torches and lanterns lit and then take with them the light into the darkness of this city. And I existed for a long time in Christianity without ever sharing my faith. And many of you are existing in that today. It's, it's scary at first. You have fears. But that's why you come here to get lit up by the goodness of God. So all you're taking with you is what God has already done in you. And we live in a city that is in desperate need of that. That is our promised land. That is our inheritance to enjoy God's presence, His salvations overwhelming us with baptisms, His healing, creating a healing center for the city, His deliverance to deliver us from every disease and demon that we face, His abundance to unlock and unleash your gifts, generosity for the good of all, and a reverse Jericho for the city's sake. But here's what I want you to, to realize, that I... I kind of knew, but I had forgotten, and then I realized this week. When we think about the promised land, we kind of associate it with like the American idea of retirement. Like, oh, we've made it. (laughs) All the hard stuff is done now, right? We've built up our number, and now we can like settle on it, and we can just enjoy all the good going forward. And it hit me this week that Josh went to the promised land, and he still had to defeat the enemies, He still had to fight battles. He still had to fight for the inheritance to be able to distribute it. And for seven years, he fought to take over the land that God had promised. And then for the next seven years, he divvied out all the inheritance to the people of Israel. And we have to continue to fight 
the enemies that will try to come against us. Because here's what happens, church. Every time God accomplishes a victory, the enemy comes behind to try to steal your confidence and steal your hope and steal your belief that he's going to finish the victory. And so if we are not on guard and aware and sober about the fact that the promised land also has enemies that live in there, they want to come against God's plans, they want to come against God's inheritance, we cannot be naive. We have to be prepared to both enjoy the inheritance and fight the battles before us. And the goodness of God was that he didn't show them all the enemies that they would have to fight at first. He showed them one at a time. He started with Jericho, and then he showed them the next, and then he showed them the next, and that's what he's going to do with us. And so today, I'm not going to share with you all the enemies that God has in front of us. But I will tell you this, our enemy is not flesh and blood. It is not other people. It is not fellow brothers and sisters inside of this church. It is not human beings outside of this church and how they live. It is not them. This is not an us versus them. Our enemies are the spiritual forces of darkness that are warring against the people of God. The lies that you and I have believed. The supernatural forces that want to suppress who God has made you to be. And today I want to tell you about the greatest enemy that God wants to defeat today. Your greatest enemy and our greatest enemy as a church are the past identities that we have lived in. Our greatest enemy, your greatest enemy is your past identity. See, when you read the scripture, there are these two phrases that just jump out over and over again. And they were this, you once were this. But in Christ, you are now. You once were far from God, alienated, not knowing his promises and his blessings. But now in Christ, you are an heir of every promise and every spiritual blessing that is, that is there. And too many of you are living in your once were. Your once were of what people said that you could do and they affirmed in you and you haven't thought about the fact that God could do more than that. Or you're living in your once were of the criticisms of what they said you would never do, of what you could never accomplish. And you're living in your once were. And so you're, all you're hearing is you once were divorced. When God is saying, no, 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 you are that single mom and dad that I have established with power and beauty and glory to accomplish everything that I wanted for you. Or you once were that person who chose to have an abortion, but now you are a giver of life to everyone that you meet. You once were that person who lied and gossiped, but now your tongue is used to breathe life and healing into everyone that you meet. What is your once were? What is your once were that God wants to defeat so that you can finally hear this is who you are now? There's an individual inheritance that God wants you to receive, but if you only live inside of your past identity, you will not enjoy the full inheritance that he has for you. And the same is true for us as a church. There's a reality that we once were mosaic church. There is a reality of we once were a version of lower Manhattan community church, absent of the Holy Spirit of God taking over and leading us and moving. But we are now 
a church that will pursue God's presence and His power in every form and every way imaginable. His... <laughs> Here's how God told me to end, and I got mad at him for it, is to do something I never do, and that's to share from my journal. And I don't share from it because journaling is not the most manly thing I think I do. Um, This is what God told me on October 3rd, 2018, right at the time that Ryan heard from God that he was going to pass off his church to me as the lead pastor. October 3rd, here's what it says. I felt God say I should come and journal instead of work on my to-do list here at Intelligentsia. And then I do what I do in my journal where I just ask God, what do you want to say? And I put in quotes what I think he may be saying. And here's what God said to me. Oh, let me give you a little context. (laughs) When God started to move in our church, I was asking him if he still had a role for me in this place. Or if I was a hindrance to his move. Because if I was a hindrance, I was ready to get out of the way. See, I was living in my once were instead of who God was saying I was now. And here was his answer. I've taken you from the trash and brought you to the heights. I'm beginning a new work in you and in your family and in LMCC. You are a big part of it and not a hindrance. Before, you only tasted my power and blessing. But now it is poured out in full. You will heal with just a word. You will lead and many will become great. You will hear and know what is true. Your home will be forever different. Your marriage will be better than you ever imagined. And there's some other things that I'm not going to talk about because it's for me and my family. (laughs) God says, I will do it and nothing will stop me. I will do it and I will not be swayed. LMCC will grow beyond your plan. The healing center is happening now and will be full when it opens because I will have them healed who will be in this church. LMCC will not boast, they will not brag, and they will not spread these things. They will cherish them, and I will spread them. LMCC will be fruitful, bearing all kinds of fruit, character change, gifts abounding, seeds planted, harvesting fully. Do not fear, for I will do it. I will lead your days, and I will lead your way. I have prepared you. For everything you will see, be healed, be healed, you are healed, end quotation. My response to him that day was, confirm it, Lord. And oh, how has he confirmed it. And he's not done yet. He's just getting started. Let's pray. Father, there's no one like you, holy and perfect, giver of all good things. Jesus, we exalt you as our victory, the name above every name, our King, and we ask that you would let your kingdom come in this church and in this city, and Holy Spirit, You are welcome to come and take over and to lead us forward into the promised land, the inheritance that you have established for us, and we believe you will do it. It's audacious, 
but it is your plan, and we surrender to it. For your name and for your glory to go forth in this city and in this world. So you receive the reward that you deserve, all of the worship directed back to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.